I'd like to thank uh, the, the pastoral staff and also the session for giving me an opportunity to, uh, to proclaim this wonderful truth found in God's holy word uh, this evening. And I thank all of you who, who have prayed and who continue to pray tonight. Our passage tonight is we continue to work our way through this, through this amazing book of Second Peter is found in verses 12 through 15. Verses 12 through 15. And here we really come to the, to the heart of, of, the, of, the, of this book of Second Peter to really show us where Peter's heart is. And so let us pay attention here. And he's, he's saying here what his intentions are and what his desires are and what he is, what he is looking to make known to uh, all of the people by uh, his continual reminders of them, of the truth that is found in God's word, and to also remind them of what a great savior Jesus is and of the saving grace that is found only in him and that what he has done in his life and that he is also a living letter uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ that has been written uh, so that we might be able to see in him also this great work of Christ for an example for us. He writes, therefore I intend always to remind you of these qualities though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me and I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. So three things here, while he's still alive, He's gonna to continue to remind or bring before the people and stir them up to the things that they know so that they continue to know them so that they don't let them slide so that they don't forget them. And he's not just talking about these things that have been talked about in this first portion of first Peter, of Second Peter verses three through uh, 11. He's talking about that, but he's also talking about the whole counsel of God and especially in the gospels. So he's talking about the word of God in its entirety. And he's talking about also that he's, he knows that it's not gonna be long before he's going to die, that he's going to lay aside this earthly tent. He's gonna fold up his tabernacle and he's gonna depart this world and he's going to go to that place to be with that savior whom he loves above all others who had loved him even to the end as he promised. And then he's gonna also proclaim that he has written this book as, as a living letter and reminder for us that we still have and it will be here for all eternity because the grass withers and the flower fades but the word of our God endures forever. These 66 books of the Bible encapsulated here in God's holy word will never pass away. And so that's the wonderful thing that we have the truth so that we might know God and that we might not just know about him, but we might know him and that we might love him and that we might love him above all others and might serve him with hearts of gladness. So those are the, those are the things that he wants to talk about. Now one commentator 
that uh, wrote a little short commentary on 2 Peter entitled his commentary, A Letter from Death Row. Now that's appropriate because Peter's in Nero's prison and this is around 68 AD and he's awaiting his execution. Yet he is joyful. He's not complaining, he's not griping, he's not thinking of himself, but if he's thinking of his wonderful Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and all that he has done for him and he's thinking about the Lord's sheep. That God in his mercy and grace told him to feed after he restored him uh, after his fall. He has given them reminders of the true faith of how to live a life of godliness and of how to die in the Lord. He's also showing us as we see in this passage this great heart of Peter and we see the amazing work of grace that is being brought to fruition by the powerful working of the Holy Spirit in his life that began as an ordinary, obscure, uneducated fisherman from Bethsaida to now have been made, shaped, and molded into a rock for Christ Jesus. He is now astonishingly an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. Truly salvation is of the work of God alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone, through the word of God alone. Peter, of all people, is now being inspired and used as a special instrument to be the human author of two books of sacred scripture as the Holy Spirit breathed out God's infallible and inerrant word into him so that it would be forever included in the 66 books of sacred writ. What a work of God. Peter's reason for encouraging his hearers in their spiritual growth rests on his personal experience of the power, presence, forgiveness, love of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not only an eyewitness, he's also an ear witness. He walked with the Lord Jesus Christ for three years and then after his resurrection, he saw him. He was able to be with him. He was able to touch him. He was able to have marvelous experiences, but he also went through all the trials and tribulations and things that we go through. So by the things that we see in Peter's life itself, we can take heart as we pursue this life of godliness through the word of God that has been made available to us so that we will persevere to the end, so that we will be overcomers, so that we will not fall and our faith will not fail. And so Peter is continuing to remind us and he says, look at what Jesus did for me. And he'll do that for anybody who puts their faith and trust in him and depends on him. You see this work of grace and discipleship in Peter and you see that you're getting this from somebody that knows what he's talking about. Explain how these epistles of first and second Peter by this common man could have written the things of such magnitude and grandeur apart from the Holy Spirit's empowerment. It'd be like somebody that has an IQ maybe like me of about 60, laying his head down on his pillow at night and getting up the next morning and being the greatest astrophysicist in the world. It's a total impossibility. 
but we serve the God of the impossible. And he chose Peter, an uneducated fisherman. Back in this little town of Bethsaida, to be one of his chosen 12 apostles and disciples and one of his three most intimate disciples because Jesus was going to make him into a rock to stand for God in an adulterous generation and to be a witness for him in spite of all of the many failings that he went through, that Jesus showed his power he showed his compassion, he showed his tenderness, he showed his love, he showed his discipline, he showed his care, he showed his restoration for this disciple. Nothing matters now but to be faithful to his calling by feeding God's sheep the very word of God. How different it is in the way of the world. R.C. Sproul wrote, Modern man stands with his feet firmly planted in midair. That's a true statement. They have no foundation. They have no anchor. They have no bedrock. They do not have the word of God, and therefore that's why they're in the shape that they're in. And you can look all around and you can look at yourselves before you came to know Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit working mightily in you to draw you or compel you or to drag you to Jesus and to bring you into his kingdom through faith in his glorious name and his saving work through his perfect life and his atoning death on the cross at Calvary and his resurrection from the dead. It's the power of God at work in us that causes us to come and to be made alive in Christ Jesus. We who were dead have now been made alive so that we might have the privilege of proclaiming the name of this glorious Savior to a watching world by the way we live and also by the way that we talk. And that doesn't mean just at church. That means everywhere we go, wherever we are, that we have the privilege of being representatives of our great King Jesus. Now, there was a time there Peter experienced when Jesus had said in John chapter six, verses six through 69, and he had talked about eating his flesh and or drinking his blood and eating his flesh. He was talking about he was the bread of life and he says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you will have no part with me. And many of them started grumbling and saying, this is a hard saying, who can understand it? And many left him and went away. They didn't stop to ask to, to explain it or what do you really mean by this or tell us what's going on. Instead, they turned and they left and that's Jesus then said in verse 65 of John 6, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. And after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. 
Look at what a great work God did in the life of Simon Peter when so many were turning away and yet God was causing him to know the truth and to stand up for Jesus and to recognize and to make it boldly proclaim it in front of the other disciples and who else ever else was there that he had come to believe that Jesus was indeed the son of God and that he was the one who was the Messiah. On another occasion, you remember Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi and asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. This is in Matthew 16, 13 through 18. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. The truth was revealed to Simon Peter. And Jesus answered and said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It all depends on the word of God. It depends on believing what God says in his word concerning the things about Jesus Christ who he really is. We see the things in the word about the things that he did that in any way anybody could do that except God, his many miracles. We see the way that he talked as he talked with authority as one who came from God. He didn't talk like the scribes who just quoted the Talmud and all these writings and things that went on from the Jewish rabbis. He spoke truth from his own mouth that was given him by the Father, truth that no man had ever spoken before so that we have it recorded in this word so that we might know the truth and that that truth might set us free. So that if Jesus sets us free, we are free indeed. And you remember the story about the rich man and Lazarus. That's a lot of commentators call it a parable. I don't really think it's a parable. It uses a name, Lazarus. I think that was a real person. But it said, you remember how this rich man had everything that he needed in this life and that this poor man, Lazarus, was laid at his doorstep by his friends every day. And there he was laying there just waiting on this rich man to just give him a morsel of bread just something to ease his hunger, to ease his plight in life, something to show some kindness and some compassion to him, something to help him along life's road. This man had so much that he didn't know what to do with it all, and yet he wouldn't even send a plate of food out by a servant to give this poor man something to eat. And so finally it says the rich man died and went to his place, and then Lazarus died. And he went to the bosom of Abraham. That's another word for saying he went to the place to prepare for or heaven in the preparation for the place of heaven. So when Jesus comes, he would take us there. So this man died, Lazarus, trusting in believing in the coming of the Messiah and believing in God and trusting in him, even though he had nothing, yet he had true saving faith. And the rich man, though he had everything that this world could offer, he had no faith whatsoever, and he wound up in hell. 
And there he was in this place of torment, it says. And it says that he's crying out across this great chasm. And Abraham says there's this chasm that's fixed between us and you. There's a chasm between those who are in hell and those who are in heaven. And no man can cross over from one side to the other. So you make your calling and election sure why you're here in this life while you still have breath because after you die, there is no more opportunity. You are going to the place that has been designated by Christ for you depending on how you have trusted in him or not, whether you have truly been converted or not. And those who have been converted will go to be with him and those who haven't will go to that place called hell. And this man is crying out for Father Abraham, please send Lazarus, still treating Lazarus like a servant, to come and put a drop of water on my tongue, for I am in torment in this flame. And Abraham says, no, my son, you don't understand. There's this great chasm that's fixed and no one can cross over from one place to the other. He says, well, I have five brothers who are still alive. And they said, they still don't trust and said, Please, I don't want them to come to this place. Please send Lazarus to go and to tell them the truth so that they don't come to this place of torment. And Abraham said, no, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. To the law and to the testimony, we have the greatest witness that we can possibly have in the word of God. That's what God has given to us, the Bible. That's why we're in such straits that we're in now in this country. Because way back many years ago, and I'm gonna say it really started with one atheist, Madeline Murray O'Hare, and the Warren Court, aside from one justice, where we were having scriptures in schools, we were having Bible studies in schools, we were having flannel graphs, we were having devotions over the intercom, we were having Pledge of Allegiance every day in schools. There were no killing of little elementary school children. There were no having to lock down schools and all of these places because the word of God was evident and taking a place of authority in those schools and doing a great work there. But then once the Supreme Court listen to the voice of one atheist over the voice of the majority of all of the people in this country, which was supposed to be a democracy, and turned it upside down and put God on notice is what they were trying to do to say, we don't need you anymore, and we're going to make our own rules, just like in the book of Judges, and every man did what was right in his own eyes because there was no king in Israel. There is a king in Israel now, and it always has been, and this king is King Jesus, and this King Jesus is ruling by his word, and that's what we need more than anything else is for the word of God to come back. Now, you can't force God to leave. You can't force God to do anything, but if you ask him to, just like the Gadarene demoniac over there and then those people that had those swine and then the Gadarene demoniac begged and pleaded for Jesus to stay and Jesus said no. Uh, he wanted to go with Jesus after he was healed of those 2,000, Legion was his name, 2,000 demons. Just, 
into those swine of 2,000 herd of pigs and they ran off the cliff. Even the pigs couldn't stand it to be tormented by those demons and ran off the cliff and drowned themselves. And all the people came back when they found out, the owners came back and found out what had happened. And they were so upset by what Jesus had done to their economy and done to their wallets and not even paying any attention to this man who was clothed and seated and in his right mind at the feet of Jesus that they asked him to leave and he left. But he left this man as a witness. You go back to your family. You go and tell them what great things God has done for you. And you go and tell all of the people in the Decapolis, those 10 cities. And we see later on where that happened, that through that man's witness, God had prepared a way so that when the apostle Paul went through those places, there had been some witness that had been given there. And so uh, it comes by the, by the hearing of the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And then in Luke 22, verses 31 through 34, Jesus says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Do you think Peter has ever forgotten that? That's what he's doing now in this letter. He's doing what Jesus said. He's been restored. He's returned to the God of his salvation, even though he denied him those three times. It says here, Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. And it broke Peter's heart when he did that. And yet, what happened later on after his, the Lord's resurrection in John 21, verses 15 through 19, it says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he asked him, said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know everything and you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young and you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was going to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. And Peter is what he is saying. He knew that now that time had come that Jesus had spoken about. He's probably about 60 years old. And there he is in prison. And he's awaiting this death. And he's not afraid. And he's looking to it joyfully. But he's looking to encourage and strengthen God's sheep and his flock in every way that he possibly can before his departure. And God is allowing him also to write this epistle, which right there he gets a pen and paper or quill or whatever, a scroll, and he gets it down and he gets it sent to these people and they receive it even after Peter is gone. And can you imagine what 
Tears of joy overflowed with them to receive this letter from Simon Peter that he had already written them that first letter and to get this last epistle, probably the last epistle that was written in the New Testament by Simon Peter himself. There's, there was a preacher by the name of Robert Bruce that was preaching uh, around about 1600. And King James VI of Scotland was there in the gallery. And he had his courtiers around him and he was rude and talking while Bruce was preaching. So Robert Bruce stopped and King James stopped since he didn't want to be the only one talking. And Robert Bruce started preaching again and James started talking again. So Robert Bruce stopped preaching again, looking right up there at him in the gallery and Robert Bruce began preaching again and James went on talking among his couriers and finally Robert Bruce stopped and looked up there where James was in the gallery and spoke to him directly and he said, there is a saying among the wisest of kings that when the lion roars, all the beasts of the field are quiet. The lion of the tribe of Judah is now roaring in the voice of his gospel and it befits all the petty kings of the earth to be silent. Isn't that great? Oh, we need somebody to stand up there in Washington and proclaim that. And then look at Peter's sermon that he preached at Pentecost in Acts. The lion of the tribe of Judah roared out his gospel and 3,000 souls were saved in all languages heard it. Remember these things. He's reminding them of these things. And Peter died in the Lord. He died unafraid. He died joyful. He died thankful that he was able to suffer in some small measure for the sake of his Lord and Savior who had shown him such grace and mercy and kindness who deserved nothing more than all of the love that his heart could hold. Peter, do you love me? Earl, do you love me? Do you really love me with all of your heart and soul? Am I first place in your life, in your heart? Do I hold the place of preeminence? Am I the one who matters the most, even more than your own family? For I came not to bring peace, but a sword, and fathers will turn against their sons, and sons against their fathers, and daughters against their mothers, and mothers against their fathers, and bring division. That's what the gospel does. But will you stay firm to me, Will you continue to love me even more than your family, more than anything or anybody else in the whole world? That's what I'm asking. And that's what he deserves. And it should be our greatest joy and honor to bow before him and to say, Lord, thank you for saving my soul. Forgive me for not loving you with my whole heart, but help me to continue to strive to live a life of godliness by the power of the Holy Spirit, working your word in me 
so that I might live for you, whether by life or by death. And may it be said for all of you, this same Robert Bruce, the great Scottish minister on the day of his death in 1631, ate an egg for breakfast. He enjoyed it so much that he asked his daughter Martha to prepare him another. Then hesitating, he said, no, there's no need. My master is calling me. Bring rather the Bible. Turn to the eighth chapter of Romans and put my finger on the words, I am persuaded that neither death nor life shall be able to separate me from the love of God, which is in Jesus Christ, my Lord. Martha did it. Is my finger on it, he asked. Being assured it was, he turned to her and said, Now, God be with you, my dear daughter. I have breakfasted with you, but I shall have supper with my Lord Jesus Christ this night. Soon, Bruce was dead and immediately passed into the presence of the Lord. You have those same sure and precious promises. Hold fast. Hold fast to your faith. Contend for that faith once given to all the saints. Do not let anything or anybody cause you to stumble. But if you do, cry out to Jesus. Ask him to pick you up. Repent. Ask him to restore you. Ask him to once again give you the joy of your salvation so that you might continue to serve him with a heart of gladness for all the rest of your days. Let us pray. Father, what a great God you are. Lord, look what you did in the life of just an humble fisherman named Simon Peter. Just a, just a nobody in a little backward town called Bethsaida that you called and you knew from the foundation of the earth before it, you chose him in Christ. And not only to be a follower, not only to be just a believer, a big believer, but also a follower and not just a follower, but to be an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ and to write things that are just so incredibly delicious and meaningful that are enduring forever on these pages of Holy Scripture for our nourishment, for our benefit, for our feeding. As even now, Peter continues to shepherd your sheep that you gave him, to look after your flock. You're the one that caused him to write and to write these things inspired by the Holy Spirit. Oh, we thank you, Lord. And we thank you for the way you continue to use this word to strengthen us and to help us to strengthen our brothers. We do thank you for hearing us in Jesus' name. Amen.